So we've been having fun. We're going through our sermon series on experiential discipleship, and uh, and it is it's been good. As as I've said every week since I've started this series, that this is not a series that comes. It's not an exegetical series, but we've had a couple. You know, I, I realize that that's a it's a technical word. An exegetical sermon is a sermon that is built where you you start with a passage of scripture. And then you study the context of that scripture, and then you you derive a meaning from that scripture, and then all of your points come directly from the text. That's an exegetical sermon, and that's a that's a fairly traditional way of preaching the word um, since the Reformation. But this sermon series is more of an inductive series, where I'm taking a look at the big ideas that are happening in the Bible, and we're looking at individual verses and passages that are showing where this is happening. So we're bouncing around biblical text a little bit, and we're saying this is the experience that's been happening, and this is this is what's happening. And so I just wanted to clarify the type of message that we're listening to so that you're able to, to understand that. Um, so we've been working with this, with this verse, uh, over the past few weeks, and it says the promise of God is always good. To trust in God is to take a risk. To follow God is to be challenged. To question God is to explore him in uncertainty. And the mission of God is fulfilling. The promise of God is is always good. And the reason we repeat that is because this is our life. We actually repeat it again and again and again. We go through the same cycle again and again and again. And every time we go through this cycle, our eyes are opened more to who God is and what God is doing. And we're able to get him more. We're able to understand more and we're able to, to, um, draw closer to him, really. So one person took this cycle and they said it's kind of a spiral that, that proceeds towards God, towards who God is. And, uh, and as we experience it, we also experience that it doesn't matter where we are on the spiral, um, that it doesn't separate us from people who have less experiences with God than us. When God makes a promise to me, even though I've been a Christian for over 30 years, God's made a promise to me and it is good. Just like when God makes a promise to somebody who hasn't been a Christian at all, it is still good and they experience, we both experience it the exact same way. When God asks me to trust him, it still feels risky to me. There's an element of risk because the trust that God's asking me to do might actually be four steps more than what I was able to do before, but it feels risky. And to a person who's first experiencing it, oh, they feel that same risk. And so we're able to empathize with each other through our experiences. And so it goes through that. Last week we did promise and trust. This week we're going to go through follow and question. And uh, the the part of following is actually where uh, most of us spend our Christian life. A lot of our Christian life sits inside of us trying to follow God. And, uh, and, and many of us don't actually step outside of that. So we, it's, it is really interesting that it's possible to stunt what God is doing. And we're actually going to talk about that a little bit today. Following God is to be challenged. And to question God is to search him out in or explore him in uncertainty so let me pray and then uh and then we're gonna we're gonna dive right in god your word is good 
Your promises are good and they are true and they are sure. And so, Jesus, we gather here today to hear your word and hear an idea of how we proceed in our relationship with you, how we're able to understand who we are and where we are. Jesus, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds, that you would, that you would do your work through this simple message today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So it follows, uh, following comprises the majority of our Christian experiences, and we need our community to be in conversation about that. So this is really interesting because in our, in our culture, faith has been pushed to become a private expression. Faith is a private expression that we say, oh, I believe in God and it's good and that's what, it, that's what it is. It is a private thing. It's between me and God. I was with my daughter this weekend and, and they, they were teaching something at school um, I think on Thursday, they were teaching something in school and they asked a question and, and Aaliyah knew that the answer was God. God did it. But she would not say that in class. And I was like, whoa, what do you mean? And she's like, no, 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 no. Won't talk about that. And I was like, you're seven. You're seven, and she lives in a context in a family that we talk openly about God, and something in society has cued her that her faith is private, and she doesn't talk about it. There's been something in our society that we've ingrained even in our children that faith is private, and we brought it into our, into our communities of churches where our faith is private. What is happening is between God and I, and I don't share it. And, and it's a struggle for us because if we do not share our faith and our faith experiences with each other, then we do not equip each other to actually understand what God is doing. We separate ourselves from each other by not sharing, and we, and we don't we don't actually get to experience what God is doing through others. We don't get to celebrate, and our faith isn't built up, and so we aren't able to be as encouraged. It's really interesting. So multiple stories. Here's, here's how it works. If I tell you a story about what God has done in my life or what I'm struggling with and where I am in my spiritual journey, then you store that into your memory, and you're talking to somebody else, and they start telling you about what God is doing in their life and you go, oh, that's the same kind of thing. Oh, that's kind of cool. And you just store it in your memory. And then during that week, you're living life. And all of a sudden, you realize that you're facing the exact same situation that you just heard two of your brothers or sisters talking about. And you see how God has lifted them through it and taken them through it. And then they go, and then it registers in your mind, oh, I believe that God's actually doing something. And so, because the stories are shared, we're actually able to connect dots better to see what God is doing. I've listened to so many people, so many Christians, in their own experience go, I can't see what God is doing. I can't hear God. I don't know. If, I don't even know. And so, we question God, and we go like, I don't even know where you are, because we're not sharing stories. And so, our faith as a community actually gets weakened when we don't share testimonies. See, the church lost its relevance. And in the 90s and in the 2000s, there was a big thing in church leadership to regain the relevance of the church. We're going to be a relevant church. And relevant became the word in the 90s and the 2000s. We're going to be a relevant church. It matters. And, uh, and what they said that that was going to be was we're going to be cool. We're going to have cool music. 
we're gonna we're gonna try to play music like what's on the radio or we're going to talk in like relevant language so some pastors actually even got used to swearing from the pulpit and so right because they're, t- they're trying to be relevant and they're trying to be like oh we're look we're relevant and all they did was become similar to the world and they lost their relevance but where we actually lost our relevance and what relevance really means is does it affect my life People sit in church services and they go, it's irrelevant because it doesn't affect my life. Because our stories aren't coming out. Our stories aren't happening. And so the more we share the story of what God is showing you, what God is teaching you, what what you're experiencing, the more relevant our gathering becomes, which is why we emphasize these community pieces where we're talking and, and sitting, reading the Bible, saying, where do you find yourself in this? What's happening here? Because those moments, we're actually, that's relevant. This is real to me. This is something that's real. And so we're talking about relevance. We want to hear about your life. So to follow God is to be challenged. It really is. It's to be challenged in the way we think about life. It's to be challenged in, in the, what we do. It is a full-on challenge to follow God. So when we think about following God, we often think of people like uh, Abraham who, or Abram, who God gives a promise in Genesis 12 and says, go from here, I'm going to give you a land and all nations are going to be blessed from you. And so Abram actually puts one foot in front of the other and he follows God towards that land and he seeks it out and all this other stuff happens. It's kind of cool. Or we think of, you know, uh, the Israelites or the Hebrews in the land of Egypt and they follow God out of, out of Egypt and they go to the promised land. And we think of following God as an actual, like, one foot in front of the other, we follow God. Or we think of Jesus who comes up to the fishers. Uh, the fishermen and says, follow me. And so they come up and they follow. And so what, what gets really strange for us as Christians who attend church is when we use the follow language, we're all seated. And we're like, uh, I don't know what to do. What do you mean by follow God is to be challenged? So I was searching scripture saying, okay, so really what are we getting at here? And, uh, and Psalm 119, we've got David who gives us a tidbit, an example of what it means to follow God. So Psalm 119 is the longest passage in, uh, the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It is um, 176 verses long, so we're going to read them all. No, I'm kidding. It takes 11 minutes. Um, so we don't, we're not going to. I'm going to take this one. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimony, I delight in it as much as all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. And I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. And moving to to verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it 
to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord. Teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. What we've got with David is David is saying, this is who I am. I follow God. And so we've got eight, uh, six different steps, eight different steps, sorry. We can see how David is doing this. David sets his intention to stay pure. This is what it is to follow God. I set my intention to stay pure. I gain my knowledge of God's commandments. I follow God by understanding his way, by being like, this is the way it is. I follow God. He makes it a priority. David makes it a priority to live according to God's ways. To follow God, he stays humble. Look at that one in verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. He's, he's teachable. He's humble. He's like, I don't know everything. Just teach me. He's got them all. But he's asking God to open his eyes to him. Teach them. David faces adversity in the context of following he makes offerings to God, and he prioritizes the way of God over his own life. He takes his life in his own hands, it says. And he's like, I, it's, this is the way of God. I'm going to follow it come hell or high water. This is what I'm doing. I am determined and resolute, and in all of that, he takes joy. See, this is where we as Christians, we live. This is what we, this is what, I mean... If I put that in front of a pastor in terms of the way it is to be a Christian, most pastors would be like, yep, that's it. That is the be-all and end-all right there. That is how to be a good Christian. Follow God's ways, knowledge of commandments, live according to his ways, stay teachable, make your offerings to God, prioritize God over everything, and take joy in, in God and worship him. Perfect. You are done. You're done. That's what it is to be a Christian. And so what I'm suggesting is this is a part of what it is to be a Christian. It's a big part. We follow God and it's challenging. Guys, it is challenging. When I say that, that David sets his intention to stay pure, you and I all know that there are areas of our life that we're tempted to do things that shortcut that say, I don't want to stay pure. I want to do it my way. I want to have it my way. And so then we go, okay. So we, we're challenged where God goes, nope, you're doing it that way. We know that sometimes there are, there are ways that we want to spend our time that aren't what God wants us to do, but we really want to do it. And God's like, nope, that, you're doing this. You're going to just straighten out. You're going to walk this way. We know that it's challenging to stay humble and teachable when you're like, yeah, I've heard this verse a hundred times. I know. 
I've been through this for so long. We know that it is challenging to say, I'm going to do all of this. And, and God challenges us. One of the crazy things is, is God challenges us, and we call it sanctification. God, cha- God challenges us and he changes us while we're following him. And it's, it's hard. See, because God's ways don't actually equal my ways. Still, even though I've been a Christian for so long, God's ways don't equal my ways. I would do things faster. I would do things in different ways. I would make things happen faster. I think about this church plant, and, and I'm you know, following God, and I'm saying, okay, God, this is what we're doing, and we're doing it as a team and all this stuff. And in my ways, stuff happens faster. <laughs> And in God's ways, he's like, no, 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 I'm building strength, I'm building unity, I'm building community, I am doing things the way that he sees fit. In my ways, evil's removed from the world tomorrow. And God's like, no, I'm doing things a lot slower than you are. God's ways aren't my ways, and that's challenging. See, the Holy Spirit, this is really interesting as much as we study God's word and the law and the way that, that we should be. The Holy Spirit is the one who is in us, who is directing our transformation. This is huge. The Holy Spirit is the one who is picking out in your life what he wants to change. As a church, we, church, big church, we struggle with being judgers. Because we know the perfect law of God and we hold it close to our heart and it infuriates us to no end when someone doesn't live up to it, especially someone who should live up to it. We get angry at that and there's a holy righteousness that should be happening there. But what we need to understand is that the Holy Spirit is not working on my timeline or on your timeline and he is doing one thing at a time in people's hearts. And I truly believe this and I've experienced it my entire life. This is the way it was explained to me and I really want to impress this on, on us here. We have a ceiling ahead of us, above us right now. Let's say that that ceiling is something that, is, that God wants to change in my life. Let's put it down to the fact that the ceiling might be a sin that keeps on getting me. Let's, uh, let's pretend that when I was 13, I started smoking. And so God wants to take that away because you know a Christian teenager should not smoke. And so, so we've got this like, here it is. That's the law. Now, there are a hundred other things wrong with me when I'm 13 years old. I am angry. I am, I, I have bursts of rage. I'm rebellious. I have all of these other things, right? And maybe when I'm 38, I might still have those things. Or maybe you do or whatever. We've got these list of sins. And when I take the, co- the perfect commands of God and then I compare them to everything that I do, man, my list of wrong is really long. And maybe yours is too. Or maybe yours is really short. But what happens is, is, we, is the Holy Spirit goes, see that one? I'm dealing with that one. And he gives us the power and we climb up and we break through the ceiling and we're, and we're victorious over that one thing. And God goes, good. Floor number two. There's another one. He allows us to to experience the accomplishment where he's like, great, 
awesome. There's that, there's that joy. And then he goes, and now here's something else. This is lifelong sanctification. He takes this, he takes us through it. The question is not, do I sin right now? The question is, what is God working on you and are you allowing him? Are you giving him that opportunity to say, you can take that? Holy Spirit wants to change every single one of us and wants to make us more into the image of Christ. But are you willing to give him what he's working on? Or are you throwing up a red herring saying, oh God, you're working on this one here. Yeah, this is what you're working on. And God's like, uh-uh right over here. I'm working on this in you. And you're like, I don't want you to work on that. That's what I'm working on right now. This is what is happening in your heart. This is how you're going to grow. And as you follow that, God is changing your heart. See, God cares more about your heart. We see this all over Jesus. God cares more about your heart than, than anything else. And if your heart is surrendered to God, where it's willing to say, God, anything you want to work on right now, I'm game. But what he won't do is he's not going to overwhelm you with all of your imperfections and say, you suck. You're terrible. You are the worst. And sometimes what we've done as a church is sometimes we use the tool of following and we say, we say to others, you suck. You're terrible. You're the worst. Instead of saying, what is God lifting you out of? And so I want to build that into us because it's so important. God is doing things. We can't change ourselves faster than God can change us. We can't change ourselves faster than God is going to change us. You can't force that stuff. God is faithfully doing work in you. And trying harder becomes a sense of pride. It becomes self-destructive. See, it's challenging because we need to allow God to just change the one thing. Man, if there were things that I could let God just take out from me, I'd be like, yeah. But God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My, perfect, my, my perfection is made perfect in your weakness. Where's God working in your heart? Where's he working in your heart today? And as we go through this, I'm going to fly through the questioning section. As we go through this, we understand that God is at work. God is at work. And sometimes it blows up our perception of God. Sometimes what we expected of God is this big, but we know that God is infinite. And we expected that, well, if you do A, then God will do B, and the outcome will be C. And sometimes you do A, and God does G, and you're like, that's not right. And so it challenges our view of God and we go, God, I don't get what you're doing. I don't get who you are. I don't understand any of this. I don't know what's going on right now. And God's like, I'm going to challenge your construct of me. All of us have a construct of God. We have an idea, an image of who God is. And the reality of our faith is God is actually bigger than your construct. By definition of him being infinite, he is bigger than your construct. And he is doing something in us. And sometimes what we expected of God is not what we got from God. And it throws us into questioning. And this is a great blessing 
See, the church has done a lot of a lot of work to say, oh, well, you shouldn't question God. You just God is God. He's sovereign. Don't question him. But as we explore him in those questioning moments, we get a bigger view. For me, it happened in my master's degree where I walked into my master's degree. I did not think I was going to learn a heck of a lot because honestly, I'd been a pastor for 10 years. I'd been following God for 20. And I was like, I'm just doing this as a formality. It's a formality. And I get into class and they start giving me constructs of God that I've never heard of that I'm like, boom, that's liberal, that's garbage, or oh, that's too conservative, that's not good. And, and all of these ideas of God were put out on the table and I was like, oh, if I take that idea, it's gonna break everything I know about God. And I had a revelation. There are theologians who've taken that idea and who have started to understand God in greater ways than I ever had as a pastor. And I was like, oh my goodness, God is so much bigger than I ever thought. God is big enough to handle your questions. God is big enough to handle any one of your questions. And if you look at questioning as exploration of God, then we grow, we grow, and we grow together. When you have questions about God, when you go, this is the way I thought that God was, but this is what I'm seeing in my life. My experience in the reading of the word is challenging what I thought of God, and I don't know what I think of God now. Like maybe, oh man, maybe this is too much. When we bring that out into community, we start to have that conversation. We start to see that, oh wow, God is even bigger than I thought. And my initial, my initial framework for God breaks down and I go through what St. John of the Cross calls a dark night of the soul where I go, I don't know what I believe about God anymore. I don't know if I get it. I don't know if I can follow this God anymore. Maybe God is, maybe God isn't even real. And we go through this dark night and as we do it in community, we seek out God and, and God shows himself. And what, when we started with a construct that was this big, God rebuilds the framework and he goes, huh, I'm bigger. I'm bigger than you thought. And maybe one day that'll, this framework, will, will, you'll realize it's not big enough. And it too will break and it will fall and it will, it will crumble and you'll be like, oh God, what's going on? And God goes, I'm way bigger than you thought. I'm way bigger than you thought. And our framework of God gets reset through scripture, through revelation, through the community of experience. And, and God is magnified, made larger. In our own understanding, we start to see, whoa, God is bigger. Our faith allows for it because God is infinite. <laughs> and he reveals himself in scripture and it is so good. So I have a ton more, but it is time. And I just believe that, that as we explore God, if you were to read, there's two Psalms to read. Psalm 22, one to five, it's David who's going through a hard time. It's just going through a hard time. If you read that, you start to realize that David's questioning. Next week, we're looking at Habakkuk. Habakkuk's questioning. And he's going, God, I don't get it. It wasn't supposed to, it wasn't supposed to be like that. And God carries them through their questioning. And the revelation of God on the other end is way bigger. Both David and Habakkuk go through it. And we go through it. An unquestioned faith is an immature faith. We can shrink away from the questions, but then our view of God remains too small. But when we allow ourselves in community to go through the questions, our view of God gets larger. It's easier to worship a God who is larger than we ever thought he was.
God, you're faithful. You're so faithful. And Jesus, for all the promises that you've given us, we expect certain outcomes. Man, we find it hard, God, when, when, when you challenge us and say, I need to take this from you, or I need you to act more like this because this is the image of Christ that I put in you. We find that so challenging because, well, we like who we are usually. And so it's hard to, to say, okay, God will change me. But you challenge us and you faithfully walk us through these transformations step by step, one at a time. And God, sometimes the formula doesn't work. And we go, I don't understand what you're doing, God. I'm lost. Help us grow in these. Help us see the eternal God who loves us. Help us see him clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.